coming up on the latest A Lively Experiment. A new poll and two debates this week in the governor's race. We'll have the numbers and the analysis. And the governor says the state will appeal a federal judge's decision that the truck tolls are unconstitutional. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Ken Block, founder of Watchdog RI, attorney and former state representative Nick Gorham, and retired URI political science professor Maureen Moakley. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Well, with just over three weeks to go to Election Day, Ashley Kalis is trying to narrow a gap that two recent polls show is substantial in her bid to unseat Governor McKee. So it comes as no surprise that Kalis stepped up her energy and criticism of the incumbent in two debates just this week, week and just two days apart. Maureen, let me let me begin with you. She is shown at least a 10-point gap. We don't know how accurate the polls mm -hmm. are, but they're mm -hmm. at least consistent. Mm -hmm. What is she? No surprise. She's getting a little bit more critical. Right. I think she. I think she. She performs very well. I think she. She's. Uh, she was critical. She was energetic. Um, and she, in the first debate, I didn't think there was much substance. I think that's the problem. But in the second debate, as far as she was concerned, what I thought was interesting was, um, you know, oftentimes what they do, um, they have an idea. Like one time she said, well, the first thing I'm going to do is get rid of the, you know, get the, get rid of the line item, get the line item veto. And it's like, well, yeah, but, you know, it suggests you don't understand what's going on. But in the second debate, she was able to, I think, she, I thought she spoke very well on education because what she did was she ticked off the high points of the RIPEC report, which were uh, substantial and well thought out. And so I thought that gave her, I, I thought that gave her some leverage. On the other hand, I think McKee is not a great debater, but I think in the first debate, I thought he was okay, but he definitely stepped up in the second debate. He was much more aggressive. He didn't, he was much more fluent. He was much careful about what he said. And the other thing is, we noted, uh, and when he didn't like the question, he just said what he wanted to say. He got his points in. Yeah. So. I, I agree with Maureen on the education issue. I think Ashley Kalis has articulated the problem pr pretty, pretty well and in a way that resonates well with people in the metropolitan areas. She essentially makes the case that a lot of people's kids are captive in a broken education system, and that's true. And uh, I think that's, that's the kind of new outlook that people in the critical metropolitan areas that Ashley Kalis has to at least survive in. Uh, I think if you can resonate well with those folks, you're going to do a lot better in the election. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what kind of reaction she gets to that. But I think it's a great point to make, and I agree with Maureen. She really stepped it up. You know, I watched the, the first debate, and <clears throat> I really couldn't listen to the second debate after listening to the first debate and watching it. It, Why was, is that? it was horrible. It was all attack. There was very little substance. Um, I agree that, in general, uh, Kalis came across better than McKee does. McKee wasn't very good that night at all. Uh, body posture, language, the whole thing was really off. And it looked like he re really would have preferred not to have been there at all. Um, I, you know, I think 
education is the key issue, really, for us to a large extent. It has been a festering, blazing problem for decades. No one has addressed it well. Uh, McKee claims to be the educational governor, and yet he really abandoned Providence school kids uh, by not, when, while the state still controls the reins in education there, uh, when the contract was being negotiated, it could have been radically changed, and it should have been given how terrible the results are there. Mm -hmm. uh, and he really abdicated his, his responsibility to the parents and children of that district, that very troubled district. So it's a winning issue, you didn't I think. You consider it transformational? <laughs> uh, well, absolutely not. But look, you know, he got the support of the teachers' unions as a result of, I suspect, not really doing anything. Uh, there uh, in terms of making change. So, you know, I mean, it, it's politically expedient, but the, the cost was tremendous in terms of the ruined futures of so many kids still. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I just wanted to point this out. I mean, one of the problems is the teachers' unions are really strong, and to say you're going to do something about that and then do something about it is quite another thing. And that's why I thought the RIPEC report was really excellent, because it was in the context of what's possible. And he left the teachers' contracts alone, but he did talk about uh, giving more money to giving more money to new teachers, more support, putting more money into particularly English as a second language. We have 50, you know, we have a huge problem there. And so, uh, what I liked about the RIPEC report was that it was in the context of what you could do now, what's possible, and I think that's very important. And I loved it in the beginning. It said, "Don't just say you're for education; do something." But I think they did lay out a whole series of options that are possible. And I think that was excellent. To your point, though, you hear her say, and look, I know this is the license that every politician takes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you're a Republican dealing with a Democratic legislature, all of that stuff has, and now she's not going to say, you know, uh, I really have no power as the governor, so I need to, but I would like to hear I'd be able to work with the leadership of the General Assembly to do this. So everything you say, if you're really following politics, you know that's kind of a hollow promise unless you have the Democratic leadership on board. Yeah, but I think people, I mean, a lot of Republican governors have been elected in this state. It's been a while, but maybe it's time to try it again. I think people are thinking about that a lot. And I, she, she made some, I thought that Ashley Kalis made some great points about education. She did, she did insist that teachers should be paid more, and I agree with her. I mean, my wife is a teacher, to uh, tell all truth here, full disclosure, but, but I took the same position back in the General Assembly when my, my wife wasn't teaching. We need to get the best people we can to teach. It's a hard job, and you need good people. Um, Dan McKee's only contribution that he can really talk about, and he talks about it a lot, is that he introduced charter schools. But, you know, unless your kid's in a charter school, and not a lot of kids are in them because there aren't that many, you are captive in a place like Providence or, or some of the other metropolitan areas. And I, I think that was a fantastic point by Ashley Kalis. Uh, really, uh, if you look at McKee, he brought nothing new to the table on education. He really didn't. Three... Wait, I just wait a minute. But the thing is... How do you do school choice? So what's the, what's the answer? I mean, you know, in other words, this is like, I'm for school choice. I don't want people captive. So we're not going to do that anymore? And on that Thursday night well, debate at Rick, he, yeah. she, he tried to pin her down on right. that, and she really didn't have any. Well, I mean, she doesn't have any. I mean, it's, there are two lines. I can say that. But the fact is, can I do it? In other words. Well, 
It's and, a complicated and, and, issue. Yeah. I don't think a debate is the proper forum where you're going to be able to flesh it out entirely. I think it's refreshing for people to hear that there's at least one candidate who says, we got to break this up. We've got we've to stop holding people captive or kids captive in particular school districts. We need more flu fluidity in the system, more freedom. I think that's what people want to hear. I realize she'd have to work with the General Assembly, but just the fact that there's someone who wants to do it is a massive move forward. Nobody else has even talked about it. Double digit. Nobody. Double digit. Uh, she's behind. Now, she would argue nobody knew me six months ago, mm -hmm. and that's true, so it cuts both ways. But in your mind, could she narrow that gap in the next three weeks? Uh, you know, for me, uh, I believe the the problem that she faces is the problem that every Republican has faced in the last two decades. The uh, ceiling for straight up Republican support is about 38 percent. We saw that's what Flanders got when he mm -hmm. ran. Uh, Fung in his statewide races has never broken through 40 percent. Um, so I think the challenge really is not so much appealing to your base of conservative voters, but how do you get the extra 13 percent? Um, and, you know, on, on, was it Monday night or Tuesday night's debated this week, neither of the candidates gave anybody who was undecided a reason to vote for those candidates. So, you know, the, the final messaging here, I think, needs to be tweaked. And you've got to figure out who hasn't made up their minds yet and what is your message to those undecideds to take you across the finish line. And can I just add to that, the interesting thing, I mean, I was talking to some folks from, you know, political science, and they were talking about doing research how the independent mo uh, vote has moved. Yeah. In other words, it's really remarkable. Yeah. In other words, in it's, been, it's been very, in other words, it's fluid. In other words, the, it, we, we'll talk about Fung, but he's really picked up massively among independent voters. And you even see that in, you know, in other words, I think the interesting thing here is that the independent voters, usually they lean Democrat or they lean Republican, but there's an enormous amount of fluidity in that. And I think if, if a candidate can capture that, which Fung clearly has done, um, I think it bodes well for them. I'm smiling because I've been waiting for this day when we agree on so much, Maureen. <laughs> oh, this no, is no, wonderful. Wait a minute. It's only early in the program. Uh, yeah, like, we've, still got a, we've still got a good <laughs> well, way to go. Uh, one thing I want, before we do move on to CD2, the governor made a little bit of news on uh, Tuesday night saying that he was asked about the truck tolls. They've got two weeks to decide mm -hmm. on the, the appeal, and he said, absolutely, we're going forward. So let's start with the attorney here. I... I I'm no attorney, but I don't see what the legal path is to be able to, to overturn Judge Smith's ruling. Uh, I, I think it's a fool's errand to take it up. Uh, it, they lost. I, thought, I read Judge Smith's decision. I think it was pretty emphatic. I think he had the law right. Look, they're treating out-of-state trucks different from in-state trucks. That's that's simple. It's called Interstate 95. Right, right, right. right. So um, they've already spent eight million with one law firm on it, and uh, it sounds like they're going to spend a lot more. I think it's a, a fool's errand. They lost. No one. It wasn't. It wasn't popular with anyone in the state. Everybody knew it was unfair. Even the. Uh, especially the the local truck owners, they thought it was unfair that they they got a, an exception, which is what brought the whole thing down. Does that hurt the governor at the polls or not, or is it just one of many things to think about? There's a lot of things to think about right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that voters across the the spectrum are against the idea of uh, enhanced tolling that might you know gobble up cars and other types of things. So I think that the 
you know, that would be a real risk if that had popped, if that pops up his head in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I do think that uh, framed the right way, wasting money on an appeal could be an effective line of attack on, against yeah. the governor. I'm, I'm inclined to think that one of the things that Republicans keep saying is, well, they're going to do cars. There's no reason that they're going to do cars. They want to get money out of, out of the roads. I, I take them at their word on that. And so I agree there that it's not about cars. You I could probably, no, but the Republican, she kept saying, and they're going to do cars. She's looking at you, gonna... bud. You're the only Republican yeah. here. So in any well, case. Well, you kind of. <laughs> okay, right. well, depends on the day. So, but in any case, um, I'm ambivalent about it. But I think since they've gone this far, they ought to push it. They ought to try. And they may be able to tweak in the resolution about in-state, out-state trucks. But I don't think it's going to be about The Republican cars. argument all along, though, was, and Patricia Morgan did a lot of, of uh, groundwork on this when they passed it all those years ago, was it's just the last 10%. It's not like it's, it's uh, I mean, we get a lot of money to begin with, and we've had a lot now. It's the last 10% in a $13 billion budget. Can't you find that somewhere? Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Right. And every day those... And they're going to have to if they get, yeah, if right. they don't, they're not successful. And, you know, every day those gantries are up there uh, with no use for them, people are going to start wondering. They're going to keep wondering, gee, what are they going to do with these things? Are they really going to take them down? Yeah. They're not going to... The, the issue isn't going to be settled until they're taken down. People are going to be suspicious that they're going to have their picture taken and, and receive a bill in the mail for driving their car down Route 95. That's what they're afraid of. Are you curious? Really? Sure. The, the gant is, if the gantries are there after they've the lost the case and they shut them down, they're sitting there doing nothing. It's, it's a spectacle for them just to be sitting there doing nothing in the first place, but then, you know, to just give the benefit of the doubt that it's never going to get used for anything else, uh, I, I mean, think look, that's you know, a little we, bit foolhardy. We've seen broken promises by politicians in the past. We're really? We're, we're, yeah. we're still paying a sales tax. <laughs> yeah. Right? For, you know, for 30 years ago. Right, for right. The banking you know, crisis. so, you know, and, and we were promised that that was not going to be a long term thing. So mm -hmm. it's, I think, the, I think generally speaking, people are justified in being very leery of these toll gantries. Ken, let me stay with you, CD2. Uh, Alan Fung, in both polls, uh, one shows a little bit wider margin against Seth Magaziner. He looks in good shape. Look, they're three yeah. weeks out, and you never know where the Democrats, as they say, are going to come home. So it's always a challenge for a Republican. But right now, you'd probably rather be Alan Fung than Seth Magaziner, right? Well, for sure. I, th I, I was still struck by the number of the percentage of undecided voters was still pretty high. Um, so I think that there's there's some movement there that can be less than the government. Is it 13%? Yeah. Is it 13%? Well, you know, on both those polls, you yeah. would think this late in the game, most people would have figured it out. Um, Magaziner's campaign mystifies me a little bit. Uh, he's been really pretty quiet and very uh, single-toned in terms of the message. Uh, and I think that probably was not advisable given where, the way things look right now. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. In other words... For the Democrats generally, and for Fung in particular, I think it's unfortunate that the abortion issue, it's 14% of the people in this state think that's a critical issue. I think it's a critical issue, but it was like a one-note one kind of thing. Yeah. Constant, constant, constant. And he didn't do enough to talk about other things that he could have talked about. And, and, and the other thing I think that they missed up on is he had these attacks on Alan Fung. It was attacks about Social Security and so forth. But he didn't really come up with, like, he could say, We're, Social Security is going up. You're going to get the best, you know, I want to continue these policies. 8% yeah, increase. 8% increase. Right. But I think that was unfortunate in terms, uh, and conversely, I think uh, Fung's ads 
were pretty um, effective in the sense that he didn't nationalize it at all. Nice guy. He doesn't want to nationalize it. No, of course it, he doesn't right? want to. Nice guy, putting his shoes on, walking the around, that, that kind of thing. And the other interesting thing that I thought was effective, a little you know, hokey, but still, the, the ad that they did for Magazina where he was this you know, privileged person and then they're all laughing about what's going on. And, um, you know, which I think was unfair the way they, they couched it. But it was followed by Fung in a hard hat saying, okay, we're going to get to work. I thought it was very effective. The answer is, look at what's going on in this country. Violent crime and lawlessness is everywhere. Inflation and high gas prices, um, just all kinds of problems. This president is probably the least popular president in history. As far as I can, would Jimmy I, Carter I, argue with you? Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't think right. Jimmy Carter was no, no, okay. No, no, no. Well, the, the okay. Well, the dislike of Biden is more um, entrenched. I would say people are really mad. They're really mad about the president, and it's just no wonder that Seth Magaziner is losing to Alan Fung. Alan Fung is a nice guy; he makes a nice appearance, but so does Seth Magaziner. Yeah, he's, no, a he's, a he's a very so good speaker. So there's candidate. there must be an answer for why he's behind, and I think it's just the national situation is so bad that many independents, which I, I agree, I agree, they make the difference. They're going to Fung. So we have a debate coming up on Tuesday. This yep. is going to be critical because it's the Channel 12 debate. It's really the first time we've seen them together. Right. You remember Alan Fung during his runs for governor was a little bit, uh, didn't want to do a lot of media. Now they got to sit in a chair, face Ted White and mm -hmm. Tim, uh, uh, Ted White. Ted, Ted. <laughs> Tim and Ted. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, It'll be like, uh, whatever, uh, yeah. Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Whatever. Um, which so one's Brad? If you're the, I thought of that one. It's all, well, save that for extra. If you're Seth Magaziner, what do you have to do in that debate? Well, I think you have to talk about, I mean, I understand he's not addressing because of the issues of inflation and so forth, but I think he's got to be more positive about what he can do. And he can talk about the fact that, that he has to look to some of the things that have gone on, even nationally, and try to counter, talk about what he's done, what he wants to do. But he's got to send a more positive message than just negative. He can't yes. just say, he can't, he's not going to be able to just attack Fung. I believe strongly that you have to make the case for why people should vote for you mm -hmm. as opposed to why you shouldn't vote for the other person. Mm -hmm. And we've not really seen that in the governor's race. We're definitely not seeing that in the CD2 race, right? CD2 is all about fear. Uh, and I get three releases a day now yeah. from his spokesperson saying, and it's just all Fung, Marjorie Taylor Greene, yeah. mm -hmm. Matt Gates. I mean, it's all like they're all in one box. Right. And I just, I think it rings hollow after a while, I, right? I think he's boxed by the national mood. I mean, you have a president who a lot of people think is just plain senile, and he's the leader oh, of that party. Well, a lot of people do think we'll that. We'll get to that in the lively extra. So I'll get to that in the lively extra. So what So what is your feeling? He has to show more of what he can do for the if, district? If I, if I was advising Magaziner, I would tell him, you need to tell the people what it is specifically you're going to do. Give them reasons to vote for you. There hasn't been any discussion of his, really of his record as treasurer, what he did as treasurer. That's a good point. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're both, both Fung and 
uh, Magaziner have served public for, for years. They both have records that are easily reviewable, mm -hmm. reviewable mm -hmm. and there's been no discussion of it in any way, shape, or form. Fung uh, has made a political career uh, in terms of running of not being specific about what it is he will do or not mm -hmm. do. And I think that Magaziner should seize on that and he should be specific and he should give the voters some things to be positive about as opposed to being fearful about. And moreover, just one little thing, and that Maria Rivera had, a, a, she sent out an email or something and she said, there's a way to beat Fung. He hasn't gone into, you know, so many people would argue that he wasn't that successful in, in Cranston, that there were things that he didn't do. And, um, you know, you could talk about that. But just the scare tactics, I don't think are going to work. Ke Go ahead, last thought. I was just going to say, one thing Alan Fung did, maybe a lot of people don't know about, is he reformed the pension system in, in in Cranston and uh, brought it from the brink. Uh, he had to take the case all the way to the Supreme Court. That was one case that was worth taking to the Supreme Court. He won at trial uh, with Judge Taft Carter and he took it to the Supreme Court and it was affirmed. Well, the, the union took it to the Supreme Court. Point is, he's done some things that no other politicians, no other elected officials in Rhode Island have succeeded at doing. He fixed many of the pensions in Cranston when he was mayor. You teed up the next topic because Ken <laughs> oh, wanted to talk go. a little bit. That right. was a nice yeah, segue good. there. This there is it good. goes. Okay. Um, talk about, Ken, you, you, had, you wanted to bring up, and it's a great issue, about the markets not doing well and also uh, municipalities borrowing with high interest rates. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. So let's start with the easy topic, which is the borrowing. So uh, we have... We have a lot of communities, and the state also borrows a lot of money. Um, Warwick is considering a $400 million school project, and they're going to have to borrow almost all of that money uh, up front to make the project happen. And that's when, on the ballot. That's going to be on the ballot. And when all of these uh, upcoming ballot questions for bonding came up, we had a very different interest rate environment than we do now. The cost of borrowing is up tremendously and, and for a big project like Warwick is considering the impact is many tens of millions of dollars over the course of, of the borrowing and I don't believe any of that extra cost has been baked into the conversations I don't know how communities would do that Providence's pension obligation bond where they want to borrow a half a billion dollars to dump it into the stock market right all of these crazy ideas and all this borrowing relies upon being successful of low interest rates well, as opposed been to high cheap interest rates. So right. And now right? it's quite expensive. So yeah. that's one thing, and I think that will have a downstream big impact on the budgets of, of many municipalities that are considering borrowing. The bigger issue, and again, I'm surprised it hasn't shown up in CD2, um, the state pension systems, the teachers' pension, the state employees' pension, and the municipal pension plans that are managed by the state. Um, we're all declared to be in crisis by Governor Raimondo in 2011. And that crisis ultimately caused uh, the reform to happen where they made changes, substantial changes to the system. Now what we're seeing, and, and the, 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 they were funded at about 52% when the crisis came about. Last year they were funded at about 58% and now the stock market is down anywhere from 20 to 30%. Uh, from where it was a year ago. So we're probably funded back down to where we were when we were in crisis. And I think that that bodes really poorly for taxpayers in particular that are going to have to make up the difference at the state level. And municipalities who've seen their contributions to the state system more than double over the decade that the reform has been in place are going to be in really big trouble as we have more and more costs to make up. I have a question. Yeah. Given, uh, let's just talk about this, the, the 
the pension, pension liability in Providence, all right? I agree with everything you said. I mean, obviously, that's structured on the fact that if the market goes up. But in any case, the market is not going up, you know, that kind of thing. What would you do? As far as the pensions in Providence? Yeah. Honestly, they, the, the liability is so phenomenally gigantic, well over a billion dollars in Providence. It's an insurmountable number. That's why they're, they're, they're going for a Hail Mary pass by borrowing a half a billion dollars. You would dollars declare bankruptcy? I, I don't know that there's any other way to solve that problem. Just quickly on the on the issue of borrowing in the pensions, what were you thinking? About? Uh, well, well, I agree with Ken. I think it, the um, the easy answer is to just pour more money in. But just to get back to what Alan Fung did, he asked the uh, the unions to suspend the colas because that was the that was the fastest way to catch up, and most of them did. Those who didn't went to the courts uh, with the case that I just described a few moments ago. That's the solution in Providence that they've never even tried. Well, they've tried, well, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but still, I think you've got to have someone who can engage the union to do it because I think Ken is right. Eventually, the only alternative is going to be, I think, is Title IX of the Bankruptcy Code. And that's, that's a political equation. It's our capital city. It would be embarrassing. And everybody loses when that happens. That's by right. There's that's a, there right. are no winners and, when you declare bankruptcy. And the other thing Final is, thought. And, well, the other thing is, you know, the, the, the unions know they're dealing from strength because they know that the, the, the state's not going to let Providence go under. All right. And so I, Outrage. Well, we could do another hour on that, but it's, it's an important topic. Yeah. Um, outrageous and or kudos. Nick, let's begin with you. This morning, uh, a bunch of protesters over in the uh, National Gallery in London walked in and destroyed Vincent van Gogh's um, sunflowers portrait that was hanging there to protest climate change. Now, I don't know if people remember this, but during World War II, there was a huge effort. They made a movie out of it to save all the beautiful works of art from the Nazis. And now... Now the people who want climate change are destroying them. Yeah. What the heck is happening yeah, to this world? Can of soup. Really? What, what do you have? So uh, my outrage is our incumbent candidates who refuse to debate. Lieutenant Governor Matos and notably and very disappointing to me, Attorney General Nerona are refusing to true? debate. And I think it's outrageous and it's wrong. And, and instead of passing laws to compel candidates to give their tax returns, we should pass a law that compels incumbents to, vo to uh, debate. Yeah, my, and to, the message to the voters is, I mean, to me, bring it on. Yeah. I mean, what, what, yeah. what would you be worried about in debating? Especially in Arona. Yeah. I mean, with his record. Yeah. yeah. Should yes, I go? Yes, okay. So um, I just want to, uh, I'm a little concerned about a trend in terms of uh, politicians and celebrity, Okay. Uh, I understand when you, ha one of the things that you do when you get elected for the House, for example, is you turn yourself, if you can, into a brand. You turn yourself into a celebrity. And, of course, Ocasio-Cortez is a person like that. She gets on and she dances and she does all of that. And we, I think we have a couple of politicians here who, like, do handstands and stuff on the beach. And the idea is if you become a celebrity or a brand that you it's good electoral strategy i'm not sure it's great but it's electoral strategy my concern is that this is creeping into the supreme court first of all ruth Bader ginsburg was riddled with cancer and she had uh, pictures of her doing sit-ups uh, push-ups this is supreme court justice and she stayed too long 
And I'm concerned that the newest justice, who I think is superb, Brown Jackson, just did a thing in Vogue. She's in Vogue, and she's talking about clothing. I think the, the Supreme Court shouldn't go there. All right. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, you see Alito talking to people over in Italy, and it's just be quiet and do your job, right? right? Yeah. All right, folks, it's not done yet. We've got a lot of national stuff to get to, so if you can, join us right now for a lively extra at ripbs.org lively. If you can't join us, we will bid adieu to Mr. Block, Professor Moakley. And Councilor Gorham, uh, come back and join us next week. Uh, we're going to have we're going to be all over that uh, CD2 uh, debate that's coming up on Tuesday. We'll have a full analysis. So anyhow, if you can join us for lively extra, if not, come back next week as the lively experiment continues. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.